today on Ag News Daily. But you can help someone find what they're passionate about and give them the, the tools, the equipment, the knowledge, and the know-how to find what their passion is. Once a young person finds their passion, that's where the drive kicks in. Happy Friday, listeners. It's Cassidy Zirkle, joined by Tanner Winterhoff this morning. How are you, Tanner? I'm good. And Friday, that's the way to say this. That's the way to kick off a Friday morning. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm sure us and all of our listeners are excited to be going into this weekend. For us, it's a three-day weekend, and I'm sure some of our listeners don't get that three-day weekend. That's true. In most industries, the bank is closed on Monday, but you're right. Listeners, don't check back on Monday for a podcast. We will not have one, so we will be back with you again on Tuesday morning. But I'm sure we'll have plenty of news then. Let's get to the news today. So I've got wheat expert wheat exports and sales reaching 236,900 metric tons for the first full week of 2022-2023. So uh, big news here from the Ag Department. Brazil was a buyer of nearly 78,000 metric tons, followed by Mexico at 58.8 and Ecuador at 49.6, according to the USDA. The totals would have been higher, but an unnamed country canceled cargoes of nearly 56,300 tons. So if you added that in, it would have been even higher yet. So exports for the week that ended June 9th were reported at 370,100 metric tons. Uh, so we got good export movement, movement in wheat. Corn sales dropped last week a little bit to a marketing year low. And uh, soybeans were also down. So uh, that's just compared to the four-week average. But it is good to see that the U.S. can get crops moved to port, even though they are a little bit more expensive. So that soybean number was down 26% from the previous week and 16% from the average. So still getting crops out of the country, but uh, certainly could be a little bit more left to be desired as we look forward to the next week. Speaking of global agriculture, that is great news, but something that may not be a great start to a trend in global agriculture is that New Zealand is considering taxing their cow and sheep burps to combat climate change, which seems like a slippery slope to start on. And I'm also curious, how are farmers going to document how many times their cows and sheep burp? (laughs) But something that I thought was very interesting in this article from Beef Magazine, so they may be a little partial. So they talk about the credit for methane system that New Zealand is proposing and everything. And then at the end of the article, they said, methane is the second most prevalent greenhouse gas after carbon dioxide. And the major major, and the majority of methane emissions come from human activity. So it seems like these taxes should be on something other than livestock. Yeah, it is interesting. And I agree, a slippery slope. I mean, obviously we have to report facts and not answered a whole lot of opinion, but I think that there are plenty of science and scientists working behind this to try to prove, one, ways that it can be reduced, and two, prove that it's not that much of a detriment to the world itself. So 
Uh, of course, I'm sure we'll be reporting on this as the many months and years come ahead and continues to evolve, but agreed. We start one place uh, and continue to build on the other, but staying on the exports category for where we're sitting out of Brazil, Brazil's revenue from poultry exports in May reached the monthly record of a little over 904.6 million. That's up 37.8% from their previous year according to the Brazilian Associated Animal Protein Press on Tuesday, the largest global poultry exporter just shipped 429,600 tons in that period, 3.7% more than May. So uh, even in the global inflationary scenario, the rising costs of production, the strong demand for chicken meat internationally has boosted their sales prices and the demand level. And Cassidy, as we've reported, not that we're a big importer of chicken and poultry products, but we did battle a little bit of that flu spell, uh, which certainly probably opened up things for our Brazilian partners. I would have to agree that maybe our production going down just a little bit from the avian influenza has helped out Brazil. And it's good to see that they are taking on that increased demand with grace. Now, keeping it domestic, I read an article about the STAR program, Saving Tomorrow's Agriculture Resources, and there's some great news coming from their highlights of the past year. They said that the use of no-till and strip-till by Illinois STAR farmers accounted for 47,752 tons of sediment kept out of Illinois waterways. It also accounted for 14,159 pounds of phosphorus kept in the field and provided climate benefits equal to 27,276 tons of greenhouse gas emissions kept out of the atmosphere. All right. Yeah, we don't, I didn't know that it was going to be good news coming out of uh, that entity. It seems like a lot of times the research is counterproductive. So that is a, another positive headline. A headline that's not positive is as inflation continues to rise and recession fears are on their way, Yahoo News reports that their latest poll shows that Joe Biden is currently in the worst shape of his presidency, according to the approval rating. So a survey of not as many people as I thought, just a little over 1,500, which was conducted June 15th or 13th through the 15th, found that if another election was held today, more registered voters said they would have casted ballots for Donald Trump at 44% than Joe Biden at 42. So this is marks the first time that the poll takers have swapped their uh, voting preference. So since Biden took office, no previous Yahoo News poll has shown him trailing Trump through all of this. And even though his approval rating was declining, this is the first time since he took office that those voters say just in a poll they would have switched their vote well speaking of biden and his presidency i read an article saying that this friday today he will start to urge china and other major economies to ramp up their efforts for combating climate change by cutting methane emissions, adopting ambitious targets for zero emission vehicles, and cleaning up shipping. 
It also says that there's going to be a meeting of all of these major economies in November at the Global Climate Conference. It says that he is set, trying to set up goals for all of them to discuss the steps towards them at the Global Climate Conference in November. Interesting. That certainly, again, uh, can be something that we'll keep an eye on and hopefully get back to our listeners with. But the last piece that I have for this Friday is a little bit of a celebration. So 2022 is the year of the milestone for celebrations with Massey Ferguson. According to the vice president of Massey Ferguson, Darren Parker of North America, he said the company is applauding the hard work and dedication of their, their colleagues in Bouvai, France. I don't speak French, so I'm going to call it Bouvai, because they are producing their one millionth tractor, and they're also celebrating Massey Ferguson's 175 years of straightforward, dependable equipment and innovation this year. So the dual milestones prove that their status as agricultural's problem solvers dedicated to providing the right equipment at the right price for individual farming operations was born to farm. So a little congratulations to the Bouvai factory in France and Massey Ferguson for hitting that milestone. But real quick look at markets as we wrap up our Friday conversation. Both corn and soybeans were up in the overnight, uh, almost equally spaced with July contracts equally up seven cents and December contracts up nine and a quarter for corn and six and three quarters for soybeans. Wheat in the overnight was down six and a half in both the July and December contracts. As that soybean meal we reported on yesterday was up in the overnight, still watching to see if there are more widespread constraints on supplies there. Live cattle mixed in the overnight for the front month contracts uh, and feeder cattle was down nearly $1.90 and $1.87. Hogs, again, lean hogs up here mixed in the overnight going into this long three-day weekend. Just remember, listeners, that markets are closed on Monday, so there will be no new updates until Tuesday. So what do you say, Cassidy? Is it time to jump into a Friday interview conversation? Yes, sir. Let's kick it over to an interview with ag teacher Justin Reese Edwards, who has a unique situation and some unique goals that he's completing with his students. Well, good morning, Ag News Daily listeners. Cassidy Zirkle here. Happy to introduce my good friend, Justin Reese Edwards, a agriculture science teacher at Duncanville High School. Good morning, Reese. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for thank you for offering to interview me. I'm I'm excited about this. Yes, sir. We're excited to have you on as well. To start it off, can you just give our listeners a little bit about your ag? agriculture background and what you did through childhood and college and things like that that got you to where you are today? Yes, ma'am. So I'm adopted, so that's kind of interesting. So I was born in Fort Worth, but my family was raised in near San Antonio in a small town called Bandera. It's around uh, 800 people. Um, it's right on the edge of the Chihuahuan Desert. So we were constantly praying for rain that we had but my family had around 66 acres and then my extended family had around 1200 acres and so it was a great place to romp around and we had we focused primarily on a uh, cow and calf uh, in your operation but we also had a few chickens and 
dogs and even pigeons that my dad once rescued from my mom's new newspaper business. And uh, we uh, we also fished and hunted and camped and it was just a great environment to be raised in. It fostered a great love for for the outdoors and for uh, working with the land and taking good care of it and and using it also how to work with others through the land. And we you know we shared a lot of our labors. Like for example, in the winter when we would hunt deer, we would all like take all the you know, we would all share all the meat that we would harvest with my dad and his, his siblings. And periodically we'd go over to my granny's house and we'd, uh, we'd you know, we'd make sausage and we all, we all with our hands, we'd, you know, knead and mix the sausage with salt and pepper. And then we'd just blend it, you know, then we would just, you know, divide the spores amongst all of us. And it was just a, a great environment. So based on that, um, from there, I, knew around the eighth grade that I wanted to go into a, a career in the outdoors. And so I discovered Texas A&M in Keatsville. And uh, so I graduated from uh, Texas A&M in Keatsville in 2000 with a range, with a bachelor's in range wildlife management degree. And so then from there, um, that led to my, uh, to my career in education. Very cool. And as I understand it, Greece, you had a bit of a different kind of adversity that most people don't have to overcome when going into the education field. Tell us a little bit about your disability and how you overcame that getting into your career. Oh, well, thank you for asking me. Yeah, so, um, so kind of a, a fun story, as my mom told her a long time ago. So she first started noticing that whenever I was little, that I was a little bit, you know, development delayed. And so it's kind of funny. So I crawled in circles and I, you know, I started walking a little bit late. And even in my third grade picture, I was wearing a yellow interior shirt and, and the top half of the shirt is so full of drool. Well, long story short, I was born with a, a mild case of cerebral palsy that affects memory in the left side of my body so my right side's fine but um my left my left hand and leg um i have a, a little bit of paralysis where the function of both of my uh, my hand is a little bit um limited so as a result it's a real challenging for me to tie my shoe and i type with one hand and have you but it's it's not thankfully things praise be to god it's not uh, major or severe enough to where it limits me you know, with normal functions and so forth. So based on that, that has been such a good teaching tool. And as I've grown through you know, my career in education from California to New York and now here in Texas, of course, it's been a good teaching tool to teach uh, children and adults too that we all have limitations and obstacles and whether it's spiritual or mental or of course physical, that we all have things that are not exactly working the way that we would like. And regardless of that, we need to, you know, try and function as normal as we could. Now, if you need help, of course, ask. But, you know, in the real world, you know, it's, you know, you have to get a job done. And it's been important for me to know that you can always find excuses, you know, on reasons to a white candy or white candy that, that, you know, I woke up late or, I don't feel good or, you know, and, and I understand that there are going to be days that you just not feeling, but, but as I always tell my kids, you can always find 
10 excuses on, on why you can't do something, but you need to find that one reason why you can, and that's what carries you through. Very cool. That is so inspirational, and thank you for sharing that. I think it's very inspirational for young people who may have any kind of disability to see others succeeding in the ag industry because it is rare, and it's good to see people like yourself doing the things that you dream of doing. Now, one thing that I really wanted to focus on in this interview is the internship placement program that you've started at Duncanville High School. We've been talking a lot on the podcast about getting more young people involved in agriculture, and I think this is a huge part of that. Can you tell us a little bit about the program? Sure. What's interesting is in rural environments and small districts, you know, especially in Texas, there's a heavy involvement in agriculture. You know, small towns, in small town Texas, agriculture is, you know, is somewhat popular. You know, you know, a lot of kids are raised on a farm. Well, in urban environments like Dallas and Deckerville, there is a somewhat of a limited, you know, exposure to that. And if it is, it's primarily to uh, the pet industry and companion animals. Well, I'm trying to change that little by little by little. And um, so I've been at Deckerville High School now for, for seven years. And so over the past three years, um, I've started an internship program primarily for my seniors where they go off campus. And it, is, it, is a, it has been such a blast. And last year was my best year. And so what the, what the students do is they are placed in last year um, six different internships across South, South Dallas, DeSoto, and Cedar Hill, and, I know, and of course, Duncanville. And so based on the preference, they worked at places like the SBC of Texas, Campus Inn, it's a local outdoor traditional style camp with a, a paying zoo and, and a horsemanship and horseback riding, feed store, an animal rescue center for um, where this is interesting, where the cities of DeSoto, Cedar Hill, and Duncanville, they partner up and so they have the Tri-City Animal Shelter and they go there and students that are captured or need rescuing there that are with the goal of readopting those those pets into uh, um you know back into society we have uh, a dog daycare center you know so those are just the same thing at the places and so the students go there um twice a week for around an hour to an hour and a half and they get real hands-on application to help them make for their future careers and education and so they learn soft skills such as how to deal with people and, you know, and how to overcome adversity and, and you know, how to work with others, whether it's, and they work with their peers, but they also have to learn how to work with people that they just met, like you would in real life. They learn how to do injections and sutures and saddle a horse and groom a horse. And, and for example, at these SBCA, they had to learn how to uh, handle different degrees of animals, whether they're calm and docile or whether you know just they just come from a traumatic environment where they where they're very aggressive at first and how to be patient with those animals. So they learn the whole gamut of how to how to operate and they learn the skills over the course of a full year to help them make decisions that are gonna help them find a job and niche that's the best. Very cool. And I think it's really awesome how you're trying to involve other parts of agriculture other than like the domestic pet animals and 
especially in the city life, like you talked about, because that's really hard to find there. And what are some of the successes you've seen with those students? You, you said you'd been there for seven years, so I'm sure you've seen some of your alumni go on. Have any of them gone on into the ag industry because of their internship? Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite success stories is, um, is I have right now, I have, let me pick two or three. So one student, she graduated three years ago. She's now a GR senior. She's at Texas Tech. She's, I believe, a junior at Texas Tech. And she just emailed me around April, and she said she uh, she got accepted as a intern at, uh, at a vet clinic there in, in Lubbock, Texas, where Texas Texas is. And secondly, I have another student. She's now a senior. Or maybe she just graduated um, at A&M. And, and uh, we're friends on Facebook. And she has a dog training business. And so she, uh, so she assists people in Dallas and in the College Station area um, with training their dogs. And so she, uh, she has a tremendous heart for, for, uh, for animals and especially dogs. And she has a heart of gold and tremendous patience for working with animals that need, you know, just need some redirecting and some training to be the pets that the owners would like. And so she's been doing that for at least a year, I believe, two years plus now. And what's interesting about this student is, is she's one of my best students, but at times she not always didn't see eye to eye. And so that's why I want, you know, your listeners and everybody to learn that, you know, you know, with with working with people, you know, try not to take your loved one seriously and, you know, give them a chance because, you know, if you give them a chance and don't take your relationships too seriously, great things could happen. And this scholar, she's going to do great things. She has tremendous drive and initiative, and she started this business on her own. And then finally, I have several other students that are, that are here in the, the Great Dallas area who are going through the... Um, they're going through the community college program, for, for example, with a Dallas County Community College District or Dallas College, and they're and they're going to places like Mount Mead College and Sea Valley, and, and you know, and starting small hopes to, to go to do a two-year associate's degree program at Sea Valley College here in, in nearby Lancaster, and then springboard from there. Well, it's so awesome to see that not only did you start this program with some big goals, but you've achieved a lot of them. And going forward, what kind of goals do you have for the future of your ag department and this internship program? Well, I continue to help it. You know, I would like to watch it grow. And some of my goals are to continue to grow the program so that we have to hire. Maybe we have two teachers now. It'd be nice to start. We have to hire other teachers to increase their numbers. Um, it'd be nice to, uh, um, we have some property um, in Duncanville that we had in the past for back in the 80s and 90s and maybe before that, even to 2000s. We do have some property where students can raise animals, like, you know, like we've heard about in, in a lot of areas where they can raise their own livestock. So that's where we start that. Um, secondly, it'd be nice to, to have students to, uh, to create their own businesses. I'm in high school with, you know, to learn to be uh, entrepreneurs. Thirdly, it'd be, one of my goals is to work with, uh, with nearby colleges such as Mount View and Sierra Valley again, to where we have a, a, a dual 
possibly get some kind of associate's degree in agriculture um, by by uh, their senior year. And then finally, um, I'm trying to work with uh, local colleges too, to where they uh, can go there and do internships and work with uh, you know juniors and seniors at nearby agriculture colleges, a mentorship program, so they can have places to like at SMU, for example, or or. or in your local programs that have ag agriculture type or natural resources degree, college students, juniors and seniors, and maybe even like graduate students are trying to get their uh, master's or doctor degree where these seniors can work with them. So that not only are they getting the experience to see what it's going to be like in college, but also they're assist assisting college upper upperclassmen and help them achieve their goals. And I love to see that you're wanting to involve even more of the community. I think what you're doing at Duncanville is so great and so good for the agriculture industry, not only because it's bringing young people into it, but also because it's involving the community. Reese, I'd just like to thank you for joining us today and sharing a little bit about your program. If you have any updates along the school year, this coming school year, we'd love to hear about it and have you on again soon. The last thing I want to you know, kind of mention you know, please, you know, to your listeners is, is see the good in everybody. Give people a chance. And whether they're, you know, you know, you know affluently raised or whether they're from a, uh, a, a lower socioeconomic background, give people a chance and help. You know, because if you can help someone find what they're passionate about and give them the, the tools, the equipment, the knowledge and the know-how to, to find what their passion is, once a young person finds their passion, that's where the drive kicks in because I know with me, this past year was the best year I ever had. And because I was able to find a greater passion, you know, and going through COVID because I was able to find a passion through this internship program, I just finished my, my best year with my scholars. So thank you for this time, Cassie. It's been, you know, tremendously uplifting and enriching. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Well, Tanner, that was a great interview. I was so happy to be a part of. I think he has taught us a lot about resilience and about getting young people into the ag workforce, like we have been talking about a lot on the podcast lately. Yeah, that is a lot of fun and uh, ironically timed, just a little selfish plug for the Farm for Profit podcast. We spoke with Brianna Mueller, an ag teacher from the Dakotas, and uh, it's a very unique and extremely fun episode and conversation, but the perspective of ag teachers is just fascinating to listen to. Yes, sir. I love to have them on. And if any other ag teachers are listening and would like to come on and talk about some of the things going on in your classroom, we would love to have you. But be sure and follow us on social media at Ag News Daily. And with that, Tanner, what do you think? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.